Lord, we want to live in the freedom of your goodness and your grace and your forgiveness and your love and the power of your Holy Spirit, Father God. I'm just praying today, Father, that you would send your Holy Spirit to have freedom in this place today. Pray to the Holy Spirit, Father God. We invite the Holy Spirit to rain down upon us, to shower us, to wash over us with the truth of your word, Father God. We understand that the word preached by man is only powerful and effective when it is the Holy Spirit that guides that truth into our hearts and our lives and makes personal and spiritual application in each of us, Father God. We thank you for the freedom that we have and enjoy and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we place all faith in you today, Father. All faith. We don't rely upon ourselves. We place faith in you, Father, to do spiritual work here in our lives and our hearts. We thank you, Father, for the worship team and their bringing us into that place of worship and praise and adoration. Now, Father, as many of these songs said today, it's upon you, the solid rock, that we stand. It's upon you that we wait patiently for the return that one day will secure our eternity in a sinless sorrowless place. And Father, we wait anxiously with oil in our lamps, ready. And we pray, Father God, that in these days that you give us here, that there would be an ever, ever present urgency to speak truth, proclaim truth. Father God, I pray for the situations in our families and in our church life, just bring healing into the lives of people's physical health, into their spiritual health, into their families in such a way that there's relationships that are brought back and restored and reconciled. And we pray for the divine work of God. We pray so much that you would come and make yourself known. Make yourself known in situations, Father God. Do things in such a way that we will stand back and give praise to you that only God could do that. Do that in our church, Father. Father, now we pray for the teaching of your word. May it be powerful and effective. May it accomplish what it is that you have for it to do today in my life and in every person's life here today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord today? And to just worship at his feet and to sing with one voice with the body of Christ about how good he is, how dependable he is, how worthy he is of our worship, of our faith. Why would we go anywhere else, right? Why would we lean upon anything else? We have a few announcements before we look at Galatians, the fifth chapter. Tomorrow night we're hosting the community Thanksgiving service and I hope that you'll come. It's our time to share with other churches. We're inviting the entire community to be with us tomorrow night. I'll bring the message. Our worship team is the music and uh, we're more than hosting. So we would invite you to celebrate Thanksgiving. By the way, happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> I know we have full busy weeks ahead, most likely. Family, friends. 
We also want you to know that upcoming is the ladies' Christmas tea. It's on December 7th from 5 to 7. That's a Sunday afternoon. Christmas Cup of Love is the theme, and they want women to sign up for that and be a part of that. I think there's oh, probably over 80 already signed up. And uh, women, you don't want to miss this annual holiday Christmas event here. And men, they, they even want you in on the action, okay? They really do. They're inviting all men to the ladies' Christmas tea. The only thing is, you need to show up an hour early, then leave and come back after it's over, okay? And men, this would be a great way to minister to the ladies of the church, helping them set up and helping them put tables away after it's over. So if you can do that, let them know out there. You know, we've been speaking about freedom, and when you come to Galatians, the fifth chapter, that first verse, uh, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. It's just so... uh, blatant as the culmination of the discussion of chapter 4. And so you have to ask yourself as a Christ follower, as, as, as a person who knows the grace of Christ and the freedom that he brings, do we, do we really know what it means to be free? Do we know what it means to live in that freedom? You know, there's no more exciting moment There's no more exciting moment in ministry. There's no more exciting moment in the body of Christ than to see someone who is hopeless and discouraged and sinful and lost come to life with Jesus Christ. There's just nothing better. It's like in a moment's time, their their countenance changes and there's this beauty of redemption. They knew that they didn't deserve it. They they knew who they were, and yet this marvelous grace has been showered on them. They know they're not qualified, and yet Jesus just gives them this new heart, this new spirit. And the Bible says the new everything inside. They tried the world. They did what it said and what it had to offer as far as if you do this and this and this, life is great. And they hear the messages all the time from the culture. And they tried that and yet there was still this lasting emptiness inside. And then they come to Jesus and they expect that he's going to require the same thing. He's going to require, now if I give you this grace, you owe me, boy. Right? And then they come into the presence of God and they read the Word of God and they just, no, this this isn't true, is it? This freedom, this grace, it's not really true, right? You mean to say that God will just love me without giving me a whole list of requirements in order to earn or keep His love? Well, that's exactly what I mean. I love to be the bearer of good news, aren't you? Don't you? You mean to say that God will grant me meaning and purpose and freedom from my past just because He loves me? And there's no requirement for me to accept to just accept this? Well, that's exactly what I'm saying. You mean to say that God will take my heart of sin away and give me a heart of righteousness, His very life? That's exactly what I'm saying. And so, after this kind of change in a person's life, can you imagine at some point in the future saying, you know, I want to return to the previous prison in which I was living. But, you know, so many do. 
I mean, they get the idea that Jesus accepts them into his kingdom, but then they, they feel like they have to earn the right to stay. They, they want to learn the terms of this new life so that they can, well, they want to make God proud of them. I want to make God happy that he chose me and included me in his kingdom. I want him to just applaud my efforts. And you see, that's what's happening in the churches of Galatia. They're, they're leaving this newfound freedom based only on faith in Jesus. They're leaving that. And they're going back to a more organized, structured, rule-based spirituality. And we've come to chapter 5 where Paul, like we said last week, reaches the pinnacle of this argument and He's just so blatant in this passage. And I'm going to kind of work our way through these 12 verses, starting with the first four. And it says this, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery, because it doesn't make any sense. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, which is that mean I'm going back to the law for justification, he says Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that, well, he's under the obligation to keep the whole law. No mistakes. Perfect righteousness. And you've been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. And you've fallen from grace. Throughout this book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul has been showing how grace and law just don't mix. They're a deadly combination. And now he's exposing us to this real risk, real risk of trying to gain favor with God by showing him how good you can be. He tells these new Christ followers that if they receive circumcision as a result of trying to fulfill religious requirements, he says that Christ is of no benefit to you. And so my first point is this, Christ is no benefit to rule keepers. Christ is of no benefit to rule keepers. Later on in the chapter there, he says uh, that being circumcised or not being circumcised means nothing. That's not the point. It's not the act that he's concerned about. It's the reason for the act. And if they believe that God, through this act of the law, justifies them, then, well, Christ is unnecessary. If they can receive and find justification without him, then why, why go to all of the trouble of leaving and coming and dying and rising? This past week, I was with one of our members, Joe Armstrong, and I told him I was going to tell this story. Could I use his name? And he says, well, if you have to. No, he said, that's fine. We were in a public place. We were talking about church, and a man overheard us and decided that he would like in and on the conversation. You like that, don't you? And he inserted himself into the conversation by starting with these words. He said, can you list God's ten laws for me? And I think that Joe kind of thought this was Bible trivia time, you know? And he'd kind of been studying that, and he'd kind of thought, maybe I have a chance at this. And so he started 
reciting the Ten Commandments, and he got four or five down the list, and he was pausing for just a second. And the man jumped in and ran off and recited the Ten Commandments flawlessly, best I ever heard. And then he pointed at us both, and he says, you know, that's not the important part. The important part is obeying every single one of them. I thought to myself, here we go. And then I thought, I'm not going to tell him what I do for a living. I'm just not going to do that. I'm not stepping into this, but you know what? Joe did. He stepped right into the conversation. He told the man of how none of us can adequately keep the law, and only Jesus can. The important thing is to open our hearts to the work of Jesus and His Holy Spirit. And the man spoke like he didn't hear what Joe said. Because he just started a new subject. He said, you know what's wrong with the church today? You know what I thought? I thought I'm really not going to tell him what I do for a living. He said the problem with the church today is those pastors. And the reason it's those pastors' fault, because you know what they don't talk enough about? They don't talk enough about hell. He says people need to know how eternity is going to be if they don't follow the Ten Commandments. Pastors are too worried about getting people into their church and having more money to do things, and so they won't talk about hell anymore. Then the man asked Joe, he says, What's the worst punishment you can ever think of a man going through on this planet because he wanted to tell him hell's a thousand times worse than that? And you know what Joe said? He said, the worst punishment that I can even imagine a man going through is to have his hands spread out and nails put through his hands into a wooden cross and a sword piercing his side and him being hoisted up there for hours on end while they made fun of him. I thought, man, I'm hiring you, Joe. And you can probably imagine what's happening here, right? As Joe described Jesus... The man just got more agitated. His tone got more aggressive. He was extremely bothered. And finally he said this. He says, you know what Jesus, you know what Jesus did? He saved souls. And it was as if he wanted to say, period. He saved souls souls and he was helping us understand that jesus died to save our souls and if he saved your hell-bound soul you better obey every rule laid out in the bible and he closed the conversation by saying joe well i don't know if he knew his name at that point but 
He said, you know, you guys, out of my car, I've got a whole library of books on hell. Do you want one? And again, I thought to myself, I bet you do. And I realized, and and Joe carried the, the water on that. I just, I guess I stood there with my mouth hanging open a little bit, but that's all right. I was thinking about this passage of Scripture. As I'm listening to this conversation, it's like God is saying, I'm giving you a real life example here. If you receive circumcision, if you, if you receive the, the, the ways of the religion, if you receive that your justification is going to come through obeying rules and regulations and the religious routine, then Christ is of no benefit. I would say He gets in the way. Doesn't grace just bother law people? <laughs> It's like if you're living in this justification, uh, you're taking it on yourself to live out of righteousness. And when you live under the system of punishment and reward, and it's all about doing good, not doing bad, and trying hard, the point is you have to leave grace. You can't do both. You have to leave grace. He says it in verse 4. He says, you've been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. You've left the system of grace and accepted the system of law. We really need to understand what it says here. Because this verse has created a lot of um, uh, theological fireworks through the years. This verse has been used to explain that, yes, see, you can lose your salvation. You can fall from grace. You can walk away. And I would say if a person wants to make a case for that theology, this is not the verse to use. This is not the verse to use. Because that's not the context of what he's saying here. He's not addressing the whole issue of in or out salvation. He's addressing the in or out law or grace. Can Christians live under the law? Can Christians act like behavior counts and matters? Yes. The Greek word katargeo, which is translated here as severed, means to be rendered idle, useless. He's saying that Christ is useless to you if you're living that way. And and the reverse is true. Guess what? You're... Useless to him. The rule-keeping system makes this ongoing work of God. Well, you, you don't need him. You're doing it. And so you've fallen out of the system of grace and you've fallen into the system of law. And he's making the point, you can't do both. You're either going to be a grace person or you're going to be a law person. You have to leave one to enter the other. It's an either-or situation. It's all or nothing with grace. He gives another summation of the whole message of the book in chapter in, in verses 5 and 6. He says, For we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness, for in Christ Jesus 
neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working or activated through love. The Holy Spirit is activated by faith. What is faith? It's turning to Him and saying, I trust in you for this situation. I trust in you for my spiritual walk. I trust in you to have the power to carry out your will today. I trust in you. I don't trust in myself. I'm not going to rely on me. I'm going to completely have faith in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. Even when I go to church, I'm going to receive from the Holy Spirit. I'm going to worship through the Holy Spirit. I'm placing faith in God, not in me. He says that there's a righteousness that we wait for. It's not the righteousness that comes to believers at salvation. This is that complete consummation of righteousness and in glory in heaven where there will be no more sin. There was, there's just nothing, nothing to compete with the righteousness of God. No temptation or sorrow. And I love the way he puts it. He, he says, we're going to wait for the hope of righteousness. And I think so many Christians today have changed one word. We're going to work for the hope of righteousness. It doesn't say that. It says that we are going to wait with anticipation. And every breath that we have and every day that we live, keeping Religious rules is not going to be our focus, but faith in the Holy Spirit working in our hearts through love. And you know, when the Holy Spirit is activated in your life and you're believing that He will use you to minister in this situation, to say the right word, to pray the right prayer, to give somebody a word from the Scriptures, when you're relying on Him, there is a freedom that wells up within you. There's this anticipation that I'm going to heaven one day. He's coming back. I cannot wait. I see the signs of the times around me. By the way, are you afraid of what's going on in the world? Or are you anxious for the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus? When someone comes up to you and says, that's all fine and good, but you know there is a lot of obedience and rules involved with all of this, and it doesn't even catch your radar. You don't even think that way. That's a different system. You're not in that system. And you can't be manipulated or controlled or made to feel inadequate or guilty because you're just not operating that way. You love people and you believe that God can do anything. You know, over the last few weeks, I've told a few stories from Tullian Chavidjan's book, One Way Love. If you haven't read it, you might ought to pick it up. One way love talks about God's one way love for you without hope of return. And I'm going to tell you one more today. I'm going to tell you a story from his book because it really illustrates so vividly what this, this whole grace instead of law thing is. And He's the grandson of Billy and Ruth Graham, the greatest evangelist of our time. And uh, I mean, can you imagine being the grandson of Billy Graham? There'd be a little bit of pressure there, wouldn't it? 
And when he was in high school, he did everything he could to relieve himself of that pressure. In fact, he wanted to rebel as much as he possibly could against his family, his heritage. He left school. He got kicked out of the home. Did drugs. In fact, he did whatever he wanted to do to bring as much shame on the family. And one of the things he thought would really, really put his parents over the edge was wearing earrings. And so he went down and he pierced both of them. He had both ears pierced mostly because he knew it wouldn't sit well with mom and dad. So what do you think Billy Graham would do with this? What do you think Ruth Graham would do with this grandson? Reading from his book. Every time my grandmother, Ruth Graham, came to visit, she would bring me a fresh set of earrings to wear. And they were always funny. At Christmas time, she would bring me ornament earrings. I, I know I'm giving some of you ideas right now, but you know. He said at Thanksgiving, she brought fork and knife earrings. And she made light of it, and she wasn't making fun of me. She was saying, This isn't that big of a deal. He's going to grow out of it. It may sound pretty trivial, but it meant the world to me. Everyone else was on my case, and instead of giving me one more thing to rebel against, my grandparents drew me in. And whenever people learned that I was kicked out of the house at 16, they invariably asked how my grandparents responded. Everybody wants to know, what did Billy and Ruth Graham do with it? What they usually mean is how did Billy and Ruth Graham respond to actual sin in their midst? People looked up to them not just as spiritual leaders but as role models for how to raise godly children and grandchildren. Weren't you shaming the family name? The truth is my grandparents never said a single word to me about getting my act together. They never pulled me aside at a family gathering and told me how I needed to submit myself to Jesus, etc., etc. Never. And only God knows what they were thinking or feeling. But I never picked up on a shred of judgment from them. They treated me exactly the opposite of how I deserved to be treated. And we call that grace. And I thought about that story and I thought, that's exactly what Jesus did for me. Right? That's exactly what he did for me. He, he's, he goes on and says that this mixing of law and grace and, and tampering with that beauty of grace is, is dangerous. Look at verse 7 to 9. He says, you were running well. You Galatians, you're running well. You were doing so good. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him, God, who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. In other words, even a little law-based living is deadly. Even a little law-based living is deadly. Paul's making this implication in the passage that we should oppose those who preach and teach Christian rule-keeping. It's not just a different way of living Christ. It's the opposite 
of what he died for. It's taking free people and enslaving them. And, you know, Paul, you know how he is, right? (laughs) I mean, so much of this passage, there's some really glorious verses here. Verse 1, freedom, freedom, freedom. Verses 5 and 6, faith and love and the Holy Spirit. But now he kind of steps off the ledge here in verses 10 through 12. Look what he says. I have confidence in you and the Lord that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision... Why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Some of you are going, is that in the Bible? The word actually means castration. He doesn't, he doesn't mince any words about how he feels about this. He, he doesn't... He doesn't mince any words in what happens when you take rule-keeping to its extreme. He wants us to know that the one who perpetrates justification by adhering to behavioral laws is going to bear judgment. And the reason is, is because he takes away the offense of the cross. The stumbling block of the cross. Now there's an interesting phrase. The word means to offend to arouse opposition. The Greek word is scandalon. What word do we get? (laughs) Scandal. And I'm here to tell you, grace is scandalous. (laughs) It is so scandalous. The grace that Jesus showed on the cross is scandalous because it just lets everyone in. Regardless of who you are. And to the Jews who had spent their whole life and their heritage and their parents and their grandparents, everybody keeping the law, keeping the law. Sure glad we're not like the Gentiles. We're good. They're not. And now you're saying they all get in? Scandalous. And he turns somewhat sarcastic there at the end. Saying that if a little law is good, why don't you just take it all the way? (laughs) You know, as we start ending, as we start nearing the end of the book of Galatians over the next few weeks. It's just, I've just been praying that we as a church recognize that. Paul is giving us this distinction over and over and over between these two systems of law and grace. And he wants us to know that you're going to be in one or the other. We, can't, we can be a church that does everything we can to, to get people to come more often and, and give more money and fill all of our holes and different ministries, and we can do all that we can to appeal and use every tactic of guilt and manipulation to do that. Or we can be a church that wants people to go deeper and deeper in their faith in Jesus and help them understand the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Because we have this firm, abiding belief that the more you aware, the more you are aware of this grace-filled life in Christ, that what He has done for you, and aware of His love, His acceptance of you, the more you will serve joyfully and fruitfully. You'll be a cheerful giver. The mark that will be upon us will be grace. We don't care where you've come from. We don't care what you know or you don't know. We just want you to come to Jesus. <laughs> and we want you to be presented Jesus every chance we get. I've come to realize in my own life that there was never anything that I did that brought the grace of Jesus to me. You know, I've had this realization. There still isn't. There still isn't anything that I can do that God is going to be impressed with or applaud me for. And without Him and without His power in me, I am a total failure. It's a complete loss. And I've come to realize that that goes for every moment of every single day. If I ever get to the point where I start relying on my talent, my experience, my knowledge, my influence, when I go there, I am a total failure, a complete loss. I'm just being honest, it's, it's, it's sometimes hard to get there. We really, really want so bad sometimes to think that our flesh, our smarts, our abilities matter. The more we know, the more talented we are, the more education we have, the more we want to think that that is what will carry the day. I've known people on the other side that says, I don't deserve Jesus. I don't have anything to offer. <laughs> You're a good candidate for the kingdom. <laughs> we don't know. I don't know much about the Bible. Great. I got some pretty significant sin in my past. Great. You see, no matter which side you come at grace from, it still doesn't matter because it's not about you. <laughs> It's about Him. It's not about what you do. It's what you've done or what you know. This, this same subject is brought up in the book of Philippians. And I just there's one pinpoint scripture here. The third chapter, the third verse. It says this. For we are the true circumcision, the true people of God. Who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put only a little confidence in the flesh and put no hope there. No confidence. I can't do anything. He can do everything. And when that's the life that we're living, that this worship is what is brought out. Worship just explodes through us. Worship, I just, 
I have to just sing his praises. I have to tell people his praises. I have to offer my life as a sacrifice. It's all about worship, worship, adoration. He's such a great and wonderful God that he included me and gives me his power and his grace. He took me in when I was unworthy. He continues to use me when I don't have any worthiness to him. He includes me. All I can do is worship. All I can do is glory in Christ Jesus for who He is. You just want more Jesus, don't you? You just want more of His Spirit. Give me more Jesus. Bless me. More Jesus. Bless me. Father, we thank you for your presentation in the book of Galatians through your apostle. I thank you, Father, for the the passage in Philippians that just draws it so distinctly and so concisely that the true church worships in the Holy Spirit. And finds its glory in Christ Jesus. And puts no confidence in their own flesh abilities. And they know that none of that without the power of God means anything. And so, Father, as we close this service today, we worship you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Thank you, Father, for your wonderful, matchless grace. Thank you for the freedom of the Holy Spirit. Would you stand? the Lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is He. Sing a new song to Him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. With all creation I sing praise to the King of kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. in rainbows of living color flashes of lightning rolls of thunder blessing and honor strength and glory and power be to you the only wise king 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. With all creation I sing praise to the King of kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. You know, if you're here today and you say, you know, I know in my life that the freedom is not the word I would use. I would use chains and strongholds and I'm always feeling debilitated. I want you to know that the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ can set you free from all of that stuff. He really can. And I I would pray that before you left this place today, you'd either make your way down here and let us pray with you or be seated and pray about these things so that when you come into a worship service, that there is this, this expression of worship that you cannot hide. There is this countenance on your face that you cannot hide. I'm so grateful for the freedom and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't hide it if I wanted to. I urge you to find Him in His fullness and in His freedom. And we say it every week, when you leave this place, would you go this week and would you take the life of Jesus and would you live the life of Jesus through the power of His Holy Spirit out there in a world that needs to see Him 